It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to the game. I'm Gab Marcotti, and the temperature in the studio here at the Times is dangerously high because we've all got cup fever. Way, my fellow patients here in the FA Cup Asylum today are Mr. Tony Cascarino, Rory K. Smith, kindly joining me in the studio, and from his secret location, it's Matt Hughes. Coming up, we'll be discussing the Ballon d'Or and focus on the action at Mansfield and Swansea. But we start with those plucky underdogs at the Boleyn ground. I don't like calling it that. I like calling it Upton Park. All right, uh, Roy, let's start with you since you were actually at the game. Um, I want to check something out there. I, from what I could tell on television, it looked to me like Sir Alex was playing some kind of diamond formation with Raphael as, as his three, as part of the three in midfield. Um, is this something that he decides, all right, it's the FA Cup, I'll experiment this because I might actually try this again one day and actually play Rafael in midfield? Or was it a question of bodies, availability, or what? Well, I, I guess it, it, the primary factor must be availability. It, it was a weird formation. United have played that sort of narrow diamond a, a bit this season. I've not seen enough of them to know how regularly they've done it, but it has featured. What was weird on Saturday evening was that they were kind of playing... So you had Welbeck and Hernandez up front as a two. You had Cagawa just behind them in that attacking midfield role fine then you had cleverly Stolz and Raphael as the three but Raphael was basically playing as a right winger so you kind of had Stolz and cleverly central so it was like an unbalanced 4-3-1-2 asymmetrical formation an asymmetrical really formation it is really sophisticated but it didn't look like it was on purpose so whether that makes it more or less sophisticated I'm not sure it, it kind of worked and it kind of didn't cleverly got the goal from the left wing but then it was quite telling after about 25 minutes Joe Cole worked out that if he went and stood on the right he didn't have anyone to beat which means that no one saw how little pace he has so he went and stood there instead of on the left wing um, although he did provide both the goals on the left wing it looked to me like a an experimental formation that didn't really work I was, you mentioned uh, uh, Joe Cole there Cass he's, um, he's your peeps he's from your part of the world if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken Ireland <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Canty mouth. Certainly not Yorkshire, like the two of you. Um, what do you make of what do you make of his return? Um, well, first, I'm 
I've got a lot of respect for Joe because I think there's so many players who, who sit on contracts at clubs. Um, he went and prepared to play in Lille, an unfashionable club in France. Um, okay, done all right, not not fantastic. Comes back, finds out he's not really got a future at Liverpool. And like Rory said, he has lost certainly a yard of pace. Um, I thought we'd done well with the, he, definitely our ability on the ball is no question at all. The the, the problem with the, of the game, watching the game, I kept thinking. That would be absolutely suicidal by Manchester United if they played a far better team than West Ham because the midfield was just so open. There was no body even getting near making a challenge in the midfield or making it difficult, no time to get your head up. Skulls was just getting the ball, picking, lifting his head up and finding a pass. And Joe Cole was having a similar thing. So he was under very, very little pressure. Very difficult to assess how Joe's going to do. I think the jury's going to be totally be out for you know a good month or so. But what he did do and what he done on the ball, creative for the goal, uh, the second goal, I thought it was a fabulous ball in. Samuel Allardyce will want him to get things in early. You know, if you've got someone to hit and do it early, Joe will do that. And I think if he can reproduce that sort of ability to get on the ball and fire things in quick, it will create things for West Ham. I think the difficult problem is going to be when he gets tested physically and, you know, someone's closing him down, making him run and get... Joe will find that very, very difficult. Matt, I want to get you on this because people love to depict, you know, Sam Allardyce as this long ball merchant who only likes big, giant people. And it's true that most of the West Ham team are are basically refrigerator size with some uh, with some exceptions. But I think it's equally true that in the past, this is the guy who. You know, accommodated JJ Okocha, Yuri Jarkaf in his in his lineup. Um, <clears throat> even Campo, I wouldn't count so much because he he is big. But yeah, but Campo in a different in a different situation with a very specific uh, job to be the long passer. Is do you think this is what 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 Allardyce is thinking of here? I think you're right. I think he's always made room for flair for one maybe two flair creative players in his team the crucial point is those players have to fit in within the overall structure and do as they're told which has been a problem for Joe Cole throughout his career really Mourinho sort of got, got some good things out of him for a while but ultimately despaired of him because he didn't think he could be trusted and to, to, to keep his position and, and to keep keep the ball um, so it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic resolves itself I think as Cass says it was a, it was a perfect debut for Joe Saturday big game Saturday night sort of glorious homecoming and United played into his hands by giving him time and space it'll be more difficult in away games against Packwood Fields where he has to be sort of slightly more disciplined and gets uh, less opportunities so it's going to be it's going to be interesting well, the other problem is that where do you fit him in because he dropped Matt Jarvis on, on Saturday for Cole now if you want a left winger I'm not saying Matt Jarvis is Jarzinho but Jarvis is a, is a proper left winger he's quick good delivery can beat a man Marcotti's making a funny face which I suggest means that I've, I've in some way impugned his opinion no no it's a private thing Gab, 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 Gab thinks Matt Jarvis is really slow and rubbish as I remember yeah despite the fact that he is he is well he, whether he's rubbish or not I'm not sure but he's definitely not slow he's quick Jarvis is unquestionably quick we've had this debate before we have yeah. yes I've yeah. Yeah. And, you, and you're still wrong he does Gab. the same thing over and over again <laughs> anyway <laughs> but the, the problem is that Joe Cole isn't a left winner the the, the issue that Cole's had for the last 10 years is that because there's not really not many teams in England are prepared to play him in that 10 position mm. that he's been sort of shunted out wide where he doesn't have the attributes to succeed 
and he can't do what he's not as intelligent as your KF and I mean a Crotcha different as he played centrally if Cole's going to be played wide left he won't succeed at West Ham See, I, a couple of England internationals I've spoke about to about Joe over the years I know all of them have said to me the same thing you've done a shooting session and Joe was involved he can't kick the ball properly now, oh, come on. No, no, they, they've said it as in shooting, that he strikes the ball quite weirdly. He's not got a clean strike on him. Like, and if you look at Joe for that number 10 position, that you have to be able to clean hit balls. He doesn't do it very regularly, and he's got this... He, even if you watch Joe kick the ball, he doesn't kick it with a preciseness of many, many other players who play at the very, very top level and, and lower. And I, I've watched Joe, and there is times when I think, he's not the cleanest striker of a ball to right, play that position. You can name probably five times that Joe Cole's got goals from distance, and he's played that midfielder come central position at times behind people where you think he could give, like we look at Lampard, we know he can absolutely hit things like Thunder from, from 25 yards, 20 yards, all the time. If you look at Joe, he's done it on the odd occasion where he struck, thing, struck things well where you think the position he plays Gab he should be getting between sort of 5 and 12 goals a season on a regular basis and he doesn't do that and he does it very rarely from outside the box Excuse me, just sorry, I, I, this really bugs me. Why? This is one of those things This is, that's really not that difficult to do. I'm not talking, that, you know, like, like striking the ball from 30 yards out and putting it in the corner. That is difficult. But Cass is telling us he cannot hit the ball, strike the, strike ball. the ball cleanly, and, you know, and, and force a convincing save or, or, or come close. That it's some kind of congenital thing. And the guy's been a professional footballer for, for what, 15 years now? I don't think he's saying he can't do it. Maybe he's saying he can't do it as well as one would yes. expect. Yeah. Um, there's a slight difference. Um, he obviously just he can strike the ball cleanly. He just doesn't have the power of, I guess, a Lampard and a Gerrard, which is, is a big weakness if you're going to play as a number 10. It's interesting, sort of, when he first came to prominence 10, 12 years ago, no one really played. Teams didn't play that way. They played 4 4 2 in the main, and he had to sort of. Couldn't be a support striker, because so he had to play wide. It would be interesting if he'd emerge now, where most teams play four-two-three-one with a sort of number ten, and you've got players like who are better than him. Obviously, Matar and Hazard doing well for Chelsea. If he'd have come through now, would he have had a better career? I don't know. Because um, the game has evolved to sort of to suit his style, in theory, at least. Our producer Chris Skinner, who is a Spurs fan, of course, has just written Joe Cole boring for obvious reasons. Uh, so let's move on to uh, a man who used to. Obviously, it wasn't that interesting point then. Uh, no, I, I thought it was I interesting, thought, I thought it was but interesting well. far more interesting. We're going to talk about now because we talk about him every week because he is so magnificent, and that's Robin Fan Percy. Now, um, I had this debate last night: what was better, Giggs's pass or the way Van Percy took that ball down? Uh, and I will. I will, I will defer to the ex-bro here. What was more impressive? Um, I thought I always go for the first intention, so I go Giggs's pass. I think the first thing makes the second thing happen, so I thought his pass was incredible. Rory, you, you can't have one without the other. Pass had to be had to had to be. <laughs> oh, for no, the pass had to be weighted, right? So I guess that yeah, Cass is probably right. The pass probably makes the goal. Hi, uh, Hughes. Well, just a bit different. I'm going to say the goal. It was a brilliant finish, and from from the man of the moment and the man of the season, really. But clearly, um, without without A, there's no B. 
I thought it was a control to even think, to, to, to try to, con- I mean, as great as the pass was, it was a really difficult control. It's not like it was a kind of pass that just, you know, the ball materialized in front of him and all you have to do is strike it. He could have been a lot more conservative in, in the way he controlled it rather than trying to take it in that stride. And, also and, t- and I, th- I thought that just shows, like, you know, oh, I have so much confidence in my ability, I will try this extremely difficult thing and pull it off. And I, that really impressed me. Tompkins misread the flight of the ball. I'd say pick, on the, pick should, on the young Tomkins English center probably half. should have right. cut it out. All right. Which, which is a fault in the past, right? So you're yeah, actually I guess agreeing so, yeah. with me. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me. There you go. Um, <laughs> there's a replay coming up. Uh, I'm assuming United want to win this competition. They'll put out a strong team. And Should they be at all worried by the fact that they had to turn calling the cavalry in the form of Robin Van Persie to dispatch West Ham? Um... I uh, no, I I wouldn't say I was worried. I wouldn't be worried. Fergie's got an array of talent. People coming back, um, he's got a chance. Look, they were out of the game again. You know, West Ham have played as well as they could have against United. I thought there was a little bit unlucky, but United do it so often. We've talked about it numerous times. Um, I think he'll look at this game as a, a perfect example again of not playing his absolute best team, but could probably think he can win it without that. All right, let's move on from that to uh, cheating Uruguayans. Um, and so uh, we call our, our cheating Uruguayan correspondent here, um, Rory K. Smith. Let's start with this because it seemed to be that all anybody was talking about. Um, for those who, who missed out, uh, uh, Liverpool won 2 1 at Plucky Mansfield. Um, Suarez uh, seemed to handle the ball for what would turn out to be the winner. But at the time, it wasn't the winner. It was the goal that made it 2-0, it should be said. Um, before actually we get into the handball, I would say, like, seeing the, 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 the remarks from the Mansfield chief executive, whose name I'm assuming we're all going to forget now once we go forward in the next week or so, were they laying it on a little bit thick? They robbed us of our FA Cup dream, I think, was one uh, was one headline I, I saw in the game. Hughes, you're the most cynical one here by some margin. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, well, was she kind of a bit over the top? It's like, you know, you got on TV, people remembered you, you got to retell your story and, uh, and um, maybe dispel some of those nasty lies about you personally. Um, Accept it. You you lost to Liverpool, and that's it. What yeah, I mean, I guess she was laying on a bit thick, and she's clearly enjoyed her sort of couple of days in the limelight. Um, but what, what would you expect? I think the Mansfield manager Paul Cox was sort of offered a far more um, measured response when he said, "Oh, I can't really make a big deal of it. My players have done the same," which is probably more honest. Um, so, so you like Paul Cox better than you like her? Well, if I wanted a serious conversation about a football match, I'd probably prefer to speak to Paul Cox. If I wanted to go have a dinner, I'd probably take out the chief executive. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's not it's not meant as a sort of sexist, patronising comment. And it appears um, in the interviews before the game, she said, I don't really know much about football. I don't really like football. I just run the business, which is absolutely fair enough. But um, she's clearly just trying to capitalise. And she's probably, you know, fairly emotional. It was a big day for months. It was a big day for her and her husband. So, um, obviously, they're disappointed. There is a, a massive... Uh, the, 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 the I don't know if anyone can say anything original about the actual handball. Did, did he mean it? You know, was it? Did he deliberately set out to cheat? Probably not. Did he mean it? I think probably in, in that instinctive moment, he probably did mean to put his hand out. Should it have stood? No, referee should have spotted it. Should Suarez have reported it? Yes, because morally that's the right thing to do. But should there be an official behind the goal? Realistically, no. Should there be an official behind the goal? Yes. Blah 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 blah. It's 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 a kind of a an endless, pointless debate. One thing that I would say that really annoyed me yesterday was this idea that he shouldn't have done it against Mansfield. Right? You either want people to take the. Tr- 
up seriously or you want the big boys to be really nice and go along and say oh we'll give you a chance you, if it's a serious competitive game of football you, you play it as you play any game of football mm. and in any game of football a striker if he if he ha- handles the ball and then tips the ball into net it looked to me like Suarez thought the referee would blow the goal stood it's, n- it's not really his fault do you know what I mean you t- he shouldn't have done it obviously but he did mm-hmm. referee should have spotted it you sh- there's no there's no kind of sliding scale of morals so that because it's a smaller team that you're playing that he should he shouldn't cheat if he's going to cheat he should do it at all levels I, I, I take your point about Suarez handball here's what I don't get is I'm trying to think that maybe he's not the sharpest tool in the box you're playing Mansfield Town, a CFA Cup. You already have a pretty horrible reputation as, as a diver and as a cheat in this country. And the, and the reputation hurts you to the point that sometimes when you do get hacked down, referees don't give you the benefit of the doubt. So, oh, it's Suarez. He must have been diving. Mm-hmm. And that hurts you and that hurts your team. Why would you go and do this? Well, no, but that's that's the point. I, I think there's no. I take your point again completely. That if he turned around and said, "No ref, that hit my hand," but it would have been in his own interest. Yeah, to it do would. So. I agree with you completely. I agree with you completely. But I don't think. I, I, Castle know better than I do, but I don't think he set out to cheat. I think it, 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 the, the argument, oh, it hit him, is nonsense. That's a completely de- defunct argument. It didn't well, hit him. You say it's nonsense, but I he believe didn't Robbie Fowler tweet that, that? He stretched, well, whatever, but it doesn't mean it's not nonsense. Just Robbie Fowler says it, it doesn't mean it's not, it, it has to be true. The, the problem I have football, and we've had this discussion on numerous times, football is, because it's so controversial and cheating is pretty much, I wouldn't say accepted, but it's pretty much from the terraces and, and some of the, the managers and their staff, the way they act on the sideline, is that if you you can get any advantage to win a football game you you have to do it I've had managers say go down I come in half time why didn't you go down for a pen say well he didn't really catch me well didn't matter he would have got a pen there I've had players shouting at me why didn't I go down you know and I've, I've done it to other players that's what football is what Suarez did just typifies me about the way the game is riddled with all sorts of advantages so okay you can take it to an extreme and say it's, sometimes it borders cheating but they're looking to get an advantage to win a football match it's am- why I stayed. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many players you see, that, and it's a minor example, but not non controversial. So the principle I guess applies. But you, how many players who you see the ball hit them and it goes out for a throw in, and yet they still appeal. Yeah, and they genuinely believe that it's their throw in. Well, you just said they genu- if they genuinely believe it, I have no problem with them appealing. If Luis Suarez genuinely believes that he didn't handle the ball, hmm. then he might the, genuinely believe it was non not not intentional. He might believe that. We don't know. Gav, That's what I mean. I it's a pointless debate. Can I? I just ask you yeah. something. Yes. What's the real difference between a player knowing he was offside, a player holding a player's shirt, a player handling the ball? You know, there's so many forms. What is the great big difference? There's loads of it. Well, it's funny because uh, Alexi Lala stated Beckham's old boss um, actually made that exact same point on Twitter where he uh, equated um, cheating or diving or something mm. like this with, well, isn't kicking an opponent, elbowing an opponent, holding a shirt, yeah. isn't that all cheating? Because it's against the rules to gain yeah. an advantage. Well, my action is no, it isn't. It's pretty obviously not the, all the same thing. Because when you when you foul an opponent, it's an overt thing. Sometimes it might be in the attempt to get a ball and so on. When you knowingly do something like this, you are you are cheating. You're violating the spirit of the game. It's not within the the dynamic of the game. You, you, you can't tell me that you know the, the two things are equal. Sometimes you do it, no. you face your punishment, and I will stick up for for Suarez uh, for what he did in in uh, in, in the World Cup. I, I thought that was you know entirely legitimate, and he faced the consequences. 
But come on, but, but no, you're going to put all this on the same level. But he's just, he's made a split second decision. You're saying it's not a premeditated. He didn't go to when he attacked the ball to score. He's tried to score with his feet in a split second decision. It's back come uh, uh, hand high, and then he's just got it over the line. Well, I think the point you were, you were sort of making was that there's a sliding scale of morality mm. in sport, and, and 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 there is, and there should be. You know, liberally going out to break someone's leg is cheating. Pulling a shirt is cheating. They're at different ends of a scale. Uh, it's a question of where you draw the line. In cricket, for example, no one walks for are we for being caught behind anymore. That's technically cheating, but that's accepted. Whereas if you claim a catch that you know has hit the floor, hit the ground first, that isn't accepted. That's viewed as beyond the pale, and that you know they're different sides of the same coin. One is accepted, one isn't. Yeah, I guess so you it's a question, question of where you, where you draw the line. As far as I would, I would say there's a big distinction between what he did against Ghana, which was instinctive, and yesterday it's not instinctive to put your hand out if you're a goal scorer trying to score a goal. I don't, I don't get that myself. I don't, but I don't get by the. Uh, oh, he he didn't think about it. He must he must have thought about it at some level because that isn't what you do, is it? If you do that every time you're you're through on goal, you ain't going to score many. Matt, the honourable judge Matthew L Hughes has ruled. And he's ruled in my favor, so you're both wrong. <laughs> if you want to make victim statements, feel free. Well, you forget the egos of a centre forward. They have massive egos of goal scorers, predators, whatever. You, they will do whatever they can. The very best will do as much as they can to get a goal. It was a cultural misunderstanding. Speaking of cultural misunderstandings, let's move on to Swansea and Arsenal and their possession game and the ball being sort of pinged around uh, on the ground. Um, Excuse me, I want to start with you because I was struck by the fact that it seemed to me like Arsene Wenger cared about this game more than um, Michael Laudrup. Am I wrong? Just based on the lineup and and then the way that this first half unfolded? Well, he certainly picked a, a strong team um, after the Bradford debacle, which you also picked a fairly strong team. They can't afford to... You can't afford to have another, suffer another setback. If, if Arsenal go out... There are more repercussions yesterday than if Swansea go out. So I guess in that respect, he probably did care more. Do, do you really believe that about the if they go? Because I, I, I'm trying to again. I'm trying to think this rationally and cynically, but I, I know, I know you, 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 you're very au fait with Arsenal. But I would have thought if if they end the season strongly, if they make a run at third place, maybe one or two signings in January. Um, that's going to be that's going to be enough for him to keep his job and come back come back stronger next year rather than getting into a whole series of replays and FA Cup weirdness where now he's complaining that I think he has got seven games in the next three weeks and his squad isn't big enough and all that jazz yeah I agree maybe repercussions are the wrong word um, is the wrong word he, he, I don't think he's going to lose his job whatever happens unless they finish 10th but what I mean was if Swansea lose yesterday it's not the end of the world they're doing well in the Premier League if Arsenal lose yesterday it's not the end of the world but it gives the fans another stick with which to beat Wenger and then it's 80 years without a trophy and the whole sense of the club going nowhere other than backwards is magnified I think you're right Wenger would clearly rather finish third or fourth but he's he's increasingly losing the fans and can't uh, doesn't doesn't want to um give them yet more ammunition so I think staying in these cups for as long as possible is important he's, he's desperate for a trophy really I think he's, he's almost admitted his mistakes in previous years by picking weakened teams by picking strong teams in these domestic cups because they're not going to win the Champions League they're not going to win the league so 
a trophy just to keep the fans happy and paper over some of the cracks I think is important for them which is why they will take the replay seriously and be determined to try and go as far as they can in the FA Cup probably the the defeat by Bradford was a, it hurt the club it hurt Wenger there was a lot of criticism aimed at players Wenger and the, the direction of the football club that would have hurt enormously and I think Wenger would have sat down and thought hard about the FA Cup as something because like Matt said when you go a number of years Arsenal have got the best stadium in the country they're a club that makes money probably bigger than any other club in the country that you know with gate receipts and the way they, they you know seem to be very very good in the transfer market at making profit and I think you've got to look at uh, you know some return, and uh, I think the only cup, uh, the FA Cup, is certainly one way he, he must he must do. He has to look at trying to win it this year. Right, um, Swansea. I thought took him a while to kind of to, to kind of get going, and then they throw on Michu. Um, hmm. Sort of a bit like United throwing on RVP. They throw on this dude and scores. There's the Luca Tony celebration, which um, I think he'll be getting a, a letter from Mr. Tony's um, <laughs> uh, lawyers because that is copyrighted. I don't know. I'm, I'm not actually joking here. But What's the meaning of the Tony celebration? You must know. You I know do those know, sorts of things. Do I? It's not really for public discussion. Michu wasn't this good in Spain. He wasn't this good two years ago. He played in the second division. He was you know, somebody who kind of bottled big games and. You know, then gets promotion, I guess, from Celta, if, if memory serves, goes to Rayo, has a season where he scores a few goals on a bad team, but, you know, strikers on bad teams mm. sometimes score goals. Um, are you... He's not going to keep this up, is he? This is this is just kind of one of those. This is like when uh, when Cass's mate Kevin Doyle was like the uh, uh, top scorer in the Premier League for for what like half a season, right? A few years back at Reading. Yeah, and Kevin Doyle remained the finest striker in Britain. Yeah, I, I don't know whether he, keep, he. Part of me wants to say that that players develop and grow, and they find teams where they settle and they, it all clicks. And there's no question, Michu's got natural ability. He's a natural finisher. He he hits the ball early, and people don't do that very often anymore. Um, He's decisive. You looked, there was a chance of storage against Mansfield yesterday where he um, he sort of dilly, sort of fannied around in the box for a wee bit and, and lost the chance. Michu doesn't do that. Michu hits it first time and that makes it incredibly difficult for goalkeepers, which is a thought I believe I've stolen from Cass, uh, where I get most of my thoughts from. <laughs> Whether he can keep it up this season, maybe. You do sometimes get players who have that, that one sort of incredible purple patch where they just everything's perfect for a season. It's one of those where I think he'll get his big money move in the summer and I don't want to say it because it sounds a bit nasty, but you wonder if he'll prove a disappointment for whoever signs him. The, the knock on him in, in Spain um, was that he just wasn't particularly quick or athletic. Mm. And so, and, and yet it's perfect same, for the, for, to play up front in a trundling Premier League side, then Sam Allardyce will be all over it. But by the same token, they also thought that when he did play uh, up front, and he, he did play for a short passing team, um, he didn't. I'm not talking now, but when he was like younger, sort of 19 mm. or 20, uh, you know, he was also seen a bit soft, mm. um, and that's why he liked to play deeper because he could pick out a pass. Uh, although he was slow, so he could, basically, the bottom line is, seems like the scouts got this all wrong. Um, did, did you see that in him, Cassie? Well, one thing I do see, and I, I'm amazed at his work rate. I think his work rate as a player is exceptional. And with that, he creates a bit of space. He's not the quickest, the bravest. Do you have to be that brave in the modern game? The game has softened up. I think we're all pretty agreeable on that. You don't have to be a, you know, get your, your nose broken three times, lose five teeth, you know, all them sort of things. You don't have to be that type of player anymore. Um, so I, I, I actually think, I admire him for his work rate because I do think, I mean, 
mean, I played up front with strikers who are not particularly quick. Aldo was one who scored goals in Spain and obviously a lot of goals in, in England. Aldo wasn't quick, but wow, did he work. And he had all types of finishing. He was good, with, good in the air, he was good with his feet, and he would hit things like Rory said early. And he does that. His goal was a scruffy finish. If you look at his goal against Arsenal, but he's got on it and he's immediately tried to hit it. And with that, it wasn't a fantastic shot buried in the bottom corner, give the goalkeeper no chance. It was a scruffy goal. And that's what he's done quite regular. You know how we had the conversation about Joe Troll where we said that you know maybe if he'd been born in a different country he'd be more appreciated. Do you think this like Spaniard sat around saying, Oh, if, if Mitchell had been born in England, he'd have been he'd have been one of the greatest strikers in the world? I, I do wonder because actually one of the knocks uh, against him was again that he ran too too much empty running. When one of the reasons people thought he was slow was because his work rate, you know, in you know in Spain they're like, Oh, let them all run, you know, like you know, you don't want to be like England. And he was doing a lot of that, and then he couldn't accelerate away from anybody. And he said, "Well, it's because you tie yourself out, you know, doing doing all this empty, pointless running, you know, off the ball." But just a theory. Let's move on to our debate, and let's start with you, Husey, because the Ballon d'Or is awarded this evening, and uh, we won't be having a discussion about the winner and so on. I'm just, I, I'm just curious about um, your views on. On this award and perhaps global awards in, in general, Hughes. I mean, when I was a kid, the original Ballon d'Or um, was really important to us because, you know, it, it was at the time it was handed out by the newspaper France Football, and only European player uh, could win it. And you had basically however many journalists there were for every UEFA nation voting on it. And it was always kind of funny because, like, the Albanian guy would always put like an Albanian dude like second, so he'd he'd end up on more points than you know guys who played for Real Madrid and whatever. But um, now it's evolved into this sort of giant monstrosity where um, the captain of the men's and women's team and the coaches of the men's and women's teams from all, I think it's 208 uh, FIFA member nations are eligible to vote. And on top of that, there's a whole assortment, I think something like 150 to 200 journalists from various countries around the world who also get a vote. Um, Why does... Am I right in thinking, Husey, first of all, that like nobody in England really cares about the Ballon d'Or compared to the obsessions that we have with it in in Italy or, or, or Spain? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, as ever in England, no one cares unless we have an English winner. If um, when Michael Owen won it, people cared. When Kevin Keane won it twice in a couple of years, people cared. But generally, as you... Um, will have noticed over the, since you moved here they were a pretty insular bunch um, so we, we don't take that much interest in terms of the um, sort of evolution of the award um, yeah it does seem a bit unwieldy and it's certainly changed from what it was but I think first thing it's better than the sort of situation a few years ago where there was a Ballon d'Or and a FIFA thing and there was sort of no one was quite sure which was more important and they um, both um, were announced around the same time in December that was the right mess secondly if you get the right result I don't think it really matters who's voting for it whether it's coaches the players journalists whatever and looking back at the winners we generally get get the right result I don't think anyone would argue that Messi has been a deserved winner for the last few years and he'll probably win it again tonight um, about the right results this is, this is the funny thing and this to me kind of like underscored how people in this country weren't too fussed by it, but um, when Spain won, the year that Spain won the World Cup in 2010 and Barcelona won the, won the Champions League and whatever else, um, the basically Messi won 
um, and I believe Xavi, uh, sorry, Iniesta finished second and Xavi finished third. The curious thing about it was after they had the vote, you know, they, they publish what everybody, the way everybody voted. And, you, and there immediately you saw a problem because you saw like, a whole bunch of countries hadn't you know, returned their ballots. Others said, no, we posted them back, but we weren't reflecting on the vote. They went to a whole bunch of players and they found out that like, their votes had been miscounted. I don't know, quite know how it's possible, but like, I remember Chris Katongo from um, uh, who... Uh, from, from Zambia who, uh, who came out and says, well, I voted for uh, Messi, um, Xavi, and Iniesta in that order. And then his like, second place vote went to Xavi Alonso. In fact, I remember Xavi Alonso finishing like fifth or sixth and getting a, you know, with all due respect, we all love him with an absurd amount of votes. I kind of thought, and it was interesting because I, I thought, all right, they made a big stink about this in Spain. Here in England, nobody cared when I pitched the story. Um, do you guys just, are you not into awards where you vote? Cass? Oh, are, are we not into things where we vote? Well, unless it's the, the so, home of democracy. Well, no, but I mean, unless it's, it seems to me like unless it's the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Well, that's because, different. I mean, you ha- that, you ha- yeah, no, you take that very seriously. But you've got like the PFA Award where, Cass, tell me if I'm wrong, there have been known to be situations <laughs> where, you know, perhaps one person fills out every single ballot for uh, the entire team, right? Um, Is yeah. that... Voting for the PFA Awards over the years became a bit of a mockery, yes. Yeah. It was never taken that seriously. And so you don't take the Ballon d'Or voting seriously? No, I, I, votes are mislaid or miscounted, who cares? I think Hughes is right, as, as he always is, that it's because it's foreign. It's got a foreign name. It's presented by foreigners in a foreign city. It's not for us. Do you know what I mean? Like we, it, the sports personality is about being British. That's, British people don't really understand foreignness. So we don't care about it. If it was called something in English, like the golden the golden ball, for example, which is the literal translation, then we'd probably care about it more. We'd care about it even more if it was only for English people and and was screened on the BBC with Sue Barker. Rory's being slightly glib, but he's right. I mean, it's a European award set up by a French magazine. Mm. Why? Why? Why it, would we care? It's a feeling that it's kind of not for us and generally as as Hughie again I'm repeating what he said basically but if there's no English involvement then there's nothing I don't know it's it's, care about yeah people Mm. people don't care about stuff it's not like in Italy where Desetta will splash on foreign football but you know what's curious um is that you, you, you go back through the years and I was looking actually right? is it because there haven't been that many Premier League stars involved mm. and I think the last going off the top of my head here but the last Premier League star to to sort of finish in the top three was Cristiano when he was still at United um, that was a long time ago and uh the one before that was Fernando Torres back when he was good mm-hmm. um even a longer time ago so I'm wondering it's it's strange when we've got all these stars in the Premier League or we've got such a competitive league over here but in terms of superstars are they still seen as being behind I mean I'm assuming Radamel Falcao will end up getting more votes than anybody in the Premier League this year mm. yeah I think the, the, there's no question that at the moment there isn't there isn't probably what is you Van would say the closest a global star Van Persie's probably Van Persie probably is the closest I guess but I don't know I mean he doesn't have the same profile as a Falcao mm. as a Messi as a he probably won't make top five will he 
might just make um, he might make the top five I don't know if he made the top well, three Ibrahim, Mitch Falcao the two obvious ones Ronaldo and Metsy after that Iniesta, Iniesta. 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 I'd be surprised if Van Persie made top five and yet he's had a, an incredible year really. although he's such a stinker at the Euros and he mm. can do much in Europe well that's the other problem with, with the, the Ballon d'Or as it is now and also the two awards previously that what are you judging it on does it tends to be won by whoever's been the most important player in the team that wins the World Cup or the Champions League they tend to be the two kind of you need a, a great Champions League or a great international tournament to define it which I don't know I, so you, it's what you're voting for does the calendar year is such a weird kind of period of time to vote over I, I think I'll, I'll leave you with, with, with this thought and I, and I agree with what, what Rory just said is that People get so worked up about it in certain countries, and you remember Mourinho and, and you know and Cristiano said we need to institutionally lobby, and you know we need to make these persuasive arguments. The fact of the matter is, if you look at who the voters are, um, Cass, you've told me that there's professional footballers in oh. this very country who don't really like football and would never watch football on television. Now imagine amateur footballers in you know the from the women's team from the Cook Islands or um, you know the. Belize, um, the coach of the Belize women's team, or the Belize men's team, for that matter. We we kind of there's a lot of people who are really don't watch football with anywhere near the interest that probably the average listener to this podcast does, and they're going to inevitably pick for the names they recognize and for the names that they see on TV, and that means that you know the Euros or the World Cups take on outsized importance. I guess what I'm driving at is basically a giant popularity concert, mm. co- contest and a YouTube contest, and it's really not a reflection of much, but as we said before, they do get it right. I mean, you wouldn't have a problem with either one of those three winning, right? No, not at all. I mean, how could you look upon beyond Metsy with the year he's had? I mean, wow. 90-odd goals is amazing. He's not won anything, though, has he? That's the Mourinho argument, right? Cristiano won something. Uh, Because our producer, Chris Skinner, is telling us to be all interactive, in fact, uh, I want to see if you do know more than the regular, um, than the Ballon d'Or voters. So um, please feel free to email in your suggestions. Do so. You can do so at gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. All right, time now for some quick hits. Rory, you spent some time up in Hastings where the magic of the FA Cup lived on in anticipation of the third round. For those who weren't quick enough to uh, go and read your wonderful story, give us a little capsule of what stood out for those who uh, who missed out. The time that people in non-lead put in to making clubs run without any reward or thanks or, or understanding really of, of how important it is, I think that, that was really, I sound all sort of misty-eyed and sentimental, but that was really impressive. Also, the fact that they, the, Hastings' final training session before they played at Middlesbrough, who obviously well-run club, group manager and Tony Mowbray, their final training session was not attended by all of the players and encompassed a five-a-side game. Uh, Tottenham rolled to a 3-0 win over Coventry. Matt, is the great AVB experiment progressing better than you had expected? Uh, yeah, it is. I didn't think being Coventry in the FA Cup is any great shakes, but they're doing well in the league. And if you made me put, put, um, predict my prediction now, I'd say they would probably finish fourth, which at the start of the year I wouldn't. I'd have fancied Arsenal. So, um, yeah, things are going very well. He seems to have learned his lessons um, from Chelsea to an extent. He's less confrontational. Um, and he's also... Um, brought the best out of some players who haven't been performing that well before. I seems to have transformed Aaron Lennon, for example, in recent weeks. So yeah, things are going well. So he is the wunderkind after all. 
Wolves are upset by Luton and uh, react by sacking Stalis Solbakken and replacing him with uh, <clears throat> Dean Saunders. And by the way, given the speed with which Saunders was appointed, I kind of imagine they were probably um, had this in mind before. Mm. Um, Cass, is it is it a wise move? And mm. what do you make of Mr. Saunders' body of work and uh, some of his friends? Um, well, he's. Um there's obviously the connection with Steve Morgan, um, Graham Souness, his big pals with Willie Mackay, and that they're all the connection. And Steen Saunders played under Graham in Turkey, not only in England. Um, and I think it's also as a club, there are quite a few clubs now looking at not the obvious choices. Because you, as you're a manager of Wolves, you look at their squad. They should be challenging playoff place. You know, got a squad well good enough. And, and I think what they've done is they're not given the obvious choices. The Alan Kerbersleys, they're going for a, a younger man. Um, what he will do, I know Dean, and he will like up a dressing room with his he's a very enthusiastic guy whether that's enough to you know to, to get him onto the management ladder and be successful at Wolves it's a big test for him uh, but he's done his you know he's done a lot of hard work at Doncaster they went down last year they now have got back up huge amount of players come through Willie Mackay and from you know with wages that were way beyond Doncaster's reach but they managed to do deals whether they can do the same at Wolves I don't know Demba Ba starts for Chelsea and scores two in the club's five 5-1 win at Southampton. Uh, Rory, will this be curtains for El Nino Fernando Torres? Or is this guy just a fill-in? Uh, it's, this isn't curtains for Torres, no. I think Barr is, is not the support act, but the, but the cover, the, sec- the second choice. I think he's an alternative. He, he provides goals if, if Torres isn't, isn't fit or isn't ready or isn't happy or has pulled a toenail. Um, the, the end for Torres might come in the summer if and when they sign Radamel Falcao. There's no shot of the two playing together. Like, like Rafa was just being polite when he said that, yeah? I, I can't see it particularly. It might happen occasionally. I, I wouldn't have thought that's the long-term plan. Zepp Blatter suggests it is wrong for players who are racially abused to walk off the pitch. Uh, so, Matt, what is a better solution in your mind? Well, here's an idea. Don't leave it to the players to police the behaviour of racist fans. Uh, it's, it shouldn't, shouldn't be a situation where the players have to walk off. It's down to the federations and ultimately the governing bodies um, UA from FIFA to take a stand they should ban fans for life big issue huge fines and close stadiums so we're not in this ridiculous position in the first place City go through against Watford and Mario Balotelli makes an appearance even setting up a goal Cass uh, with Aguero injured should Mancini give Balotelli his umpteenth chance um, it's a really difficult one, Gab, um, because Balotelli, obviously the problems, it's been well documented over the last few years. I just think if there's a player on your payroll and you think you can get something out of him and you think he might win you a match or turn you a game, you've got to keep on the right side. Now, Balotelli's difficult because we don't get that many players who push the line as far as he has. But I think the Mancini backing down was probably because Mancini played a huge part in the problem between Mario as well. So I think you know, Mancini's got to hold his hand up and, and the pair of them, have, for the sake of Man City, have got to get on and deal with the rest of the season. Gab, I have got two for you as I'm freestyling. First, it was Mourinho's first game back at the Bernabeu after, drop, after dropping it at for Antonio Adan. Uh, how did it go? And secondly, Sampdoria won away at Juventus, despite being a struggle inside against the lead leaders. Is that the sort of shock result that only happens in Italy? Uh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> it's, it's unimaginable anywhere in the world. And we should, we should keep talking about how great a league is because 
because it's uncertain. Uh, now, obviously, that's a direct and snide reference at our friend Rio Ferdinand, who uh, uh, tweeted out after a QPR won at Chelsea, like, this is what makes the Premier League the best in the world. Um, you know, sounding uh, rather like some people I could name. But no, uh, bad results or, or shock results happen everywhere. That was pretty remarkable because Juventus were at home and uh, they had the lead and Sampdoria were down to 10 men. And yet somehow they came back. Uh, now, on to uh, Mourinho. Um, he went, he dropped Casillas again at the Bernabeu. It's kind of interesting because uh, Mourinho's name was uh, was whistled and booed by the crowd uh, before kickoff, which is unusual. Um, he played Adan. Adan got himself sent off after just six minutes. So Casillas had to come back on. In the end, uh, they beat Real Sociedad um, 4-3. Xabi Prieto, one of your favorite players, getting a hat-trick. This is only the second time ever that Jose Mourinho's, uh, a Jose Mourinho coach team has conceded uh, three goals or more in consecutive games. Uh, it's pretty obvious things are broken there, um, badly broken. He does have this massive get-out-of-jail-free card, which is winning the Champions League. Uh, but... Really, that's it. And the reality is, if United knock him out, um, as it could be, his season could be over on the fifth of March, and then he would have the longest two and a half months of his life. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. Thanks to my guests, uh, Tony Cascarino, Rory Smith, but most of all, Matt Hughes. Uh, come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, Times.co.uk is where you'll find news, views, web chats. Rory, your web chat is on Mondays. Am I right? You're wrong. It's on Thursdays now. Why? Does that change that? How come? Because it was too much work to do everything, to do this and the blog and, and the web chat on Monday. Is your blog stressed. still on Monday? My blog is on Monday. Fantastic. Enjoy his blog every Monday. And of course, you get uh, all the analysis that we provide. Yes, that's all. So, till next time, toodaloo. Toodaloo.